to talk to you about an empowering encounter. So we're going to read this text, Acts chapter 26, verse 1 through 3. We're going to read in the international version, New International. It'll go up on the screen if you don't have that right at your fingertips. And I want you to all read with me. We like to do that together here at Summit. So everyone read. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to to literally implant it like a seed in our hearts and that, Lord, it will bring forth fruit and it will not be the same after we hear it today. Transform us by the renewing of our mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. You can be seated. Turn to your neighbor, tell them you're looking good today. Find another neighbor, say you're downright hot. (laughs) I'm trying to help y'all. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you're well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Paul is in a scenario, in a situation where he's in trouble. He's been, he's been persecuted. He's been, he's been fought on every hand. He's gone through persecution. He's gone through problems. He's gone through issues. He's been in prison time after time. He's been, he's been, uh, you know, uh, beaten many times. He's been in shipwrecks at this point in his life. And now he's standing before Agrippa because he appealed to Caesar, which means that when he, when it says he appealed to Caesar, it means he said, I'm a Roman citizen and I have the right to appeal to Caesar. So instead of being tried by the Jews, he wanted to be tried by Caesar. And so he went to Caesar and he began to explain what was going on. Now, if you listen to the way he says this, you would think that the next things he's about to say are some very deep theological things. You would think that he's about to really go somewhere intellectually, or he's about to really lay it on King Agrippa and tell him all the revelation that he has. And he had a lot at this point. I mean, think about all that he'd gone through. Think about all the inspired scripture that God had already given him. I mean, this is Paul. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament. He was setting up churches and, and, and he was, he was, uh, 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 developing pastors. I mean, this man was literally changed. I mean, he was an unbelievable leader at this point. And he stands before Agrippa and he says, I want you to hear me patiently. So you think he's about to unveil all of his uh, uh, enormous intellect. Uh, uh, Historians say that Paul was probably one of three of the most intelligent people that ever walked this planet. So you hear this and you think, He's about to give a lecture of all lectures. I wish I could be sitting in that hall. I wish I could be uh, one of the people that worked there for King Agrippa. I wish that I could hear this great theological lecture that Paul the Apostle is about to give. And that's what it sounds like he's introducing. But you know what he does next? He merely tells 
his story. That's all he does. He's standing in front of a king. He's standing in front of a representation of Rome. He is he has this opportunity to say the most articulate thing and the most theological thing that you could possibly imagine. And he does, but he does it in a way that is not like you would think and not like a lot of us think we would have to do it to really speak life and speak the gospel and speak the love of Christ into someone else's life. He just simply tells a story. That's all he does. I think we overcomplicate things. I really do. I think in a lot of ways we overcomplicate things. I, I was listening to, you know, Todd and Darcy's testimony there in their story. And when they came to meet with us, oh, I remember it very well. I could tell some stories from that talk. Uh, but I, I remember there were a couple of times it was a little heated. There was a couple of times that Todd didn't want to hear what I was saying. And there were times that Darcy was overwhelmed and and one thing that I knew for sure, and one thing that continued to happen is overcomplication of everything. We analyze everything to death. We try to figure everything out. We got to know everything. We got to be, we got to go through everything. We got to figure it out. And, and largely we're doing this because we're trying to find who's at fault. And we're trying to find who's to blame and why is this problem happening and what's the real issue. And we're trying to get, and we just overcomplicate everything. And I think we do that same thing with our faith. I think we think I can't share my faith with someone because I, it's too hard. What do I say? How do I approach it? In what ways can I get through to them? And I think one of the things is we do is we put the onus on ourselves for the conversion of another person. You can't change anybody. I love what Todd said. You can't change anybody. You can Praise someone into the kingdom. You can witness and share your faith, but you can't cause them to be born again. Only God can do that. So first, take the weight off yourself and say, hey, I can share the gospel because it's not my job to change them. It's just my job to tell them. I think another way we overcomplicate it is because we feel like I'm not, I'm not a big enough deal spiritually to do this. I, I believe what one of my missionary friends always says, if you learned it this morning, you can teach it this afternoon. I think we overcomplicate it by, by looking at our past and saying, I'm not worthy to say anything. But man, uh, if anybody's going to say that, if we all said, listen, if we all said, I have a past, I can't share the gospel because of my past, then no one else ever will get saved because we all have a past. I don't know about you, but there's some things in my life I'm ashamed of. But you know what? I'm doing like the Apostle Paul. I'm pressing forward to the prize of the high calling. I'm not looking, I'm not looking back. The only thing I look back for, you know what I look back for? To see the times that God has set me free. I look back to see the times that God has brought me through. I look back to see the times where I was tempted, but God gave me a way of escape. I, I look back to see the times where I failed and God picked me up and set me back on my feet and said, it's going to be okay. That's the only reason I look back. I'm not looking back to say, oh, look what I did or look how bad I was or look what. No, no, no. I'm just saying, hey, that's, that was in the past. God is in my future. I ain't worried about it. We overcomplicate things. If God has ever done anything for you, that's your story. If God has ever loved you in a way that changed your life, that's your story. If God has ever, if God has ever healed you, that's your story. If God has ever changed your thinking, that's your story. If God has ever delivered you from an addiction or a problem or an issue or 
just got you through life in general. That's your story, and you can share that story. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, King Agrippa, I was a man who was absolutely dedicated to the destruction of Christianity. I did not want this message of this so-called Messiah getting around. I was a Jew of the Jews. I grew up. I was prominent. I was a, a, a learner. I, I, I was a teacher. And I was absolutely in my prime as a religious leader and when Jesus came out and he he so-called died for our sins and so-called rose again from the dead I did not want this message to be uh, uh, perpetuated throughout the Jewish communities so I did everything I could to stop it and I went and I got arrest warrants and I went and I got arrested people and I threw them in jail he, 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 I would imagine, told the story about how Stephen, the deacon of the church, was out on the street preaching and people were listening to him preach. And then he got the crowd riled up because they he told them the truth and said, you crucified the Savior, you crucified the Messiah, but he rose again from the dead. And I'm preaching to you about him today. And they got so angry with him that they took him out to the edge of the city and they began to throw rocks at him and they began to kill him. And he died there. Young Stephen died there. And guess who was standing up on the hill holding their coats so they could throw the rocks? Saul. We know him as Paul. He said, I was on my way. I was on my way to Damascus to throw some Christians in jail, to persecute them, to stop them. And as I was walking down this road, a great light shone from heaven and a voice came out of heaven and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. It just simply means that God is saying it's hard for you to kick against the purpose I have for you. It's hard for you to resist what I'm doing for you. And he said, I, he, he, here's what Apostle Paul did. He said, I, I fell down. And I heard this voice, and, and you know, as, as you do, the only response is, who are you? And what do you want me to do? I'll never forget, I was in Cambodia, and I was sitting around a group of Muslims. They had, I mean, uh, Buddhists, and they had come to hear, uh, uh, we were teaching English. And a lot of the people in those classes was in a university, and a lot of people in those classes were Buddhists because if you became a Buddhist monk, your education was completely paid for. So all of them are set in full garb. And we, and we got up, and God kind of gave us this ingenious idea of let's teach English by teaching them the calendar. It totally happened on accident. And we were up there... Uh, teaching the calendar and then as you start teaching the calendar that you know they were they were uh uh uh, repeating after us and we're teaching them the words and because they want to hear from English speakers which I don't know if you can consider Texans English speakers but anyway that so we were there and we were we were doing this and then as we begin to teach it we ran out of we are it, it finished too fast we had all this time left in the class we're like what are we going to do and so Somebody said, let's just do the holidays. Just do the holidays. And, and, and then all of a sudden we begin to see the Judeo-Christian values of our nation right there on the calendar. Because as we started talking about the different holidays and what those different holidays are, Jesus kept coming up. And, and then after we were done, we said, let's get around in small circles and let's, you ask us any questions you want. And uh, they had all kinds of questions. Really strange questions, some of them, but some really good questions. And then a question came out. I've got a picture of it. I love it. I'll never forget it. My group, I was sitting there, and every one of them were Buddhists. 
And, they, and, and I was leaning in. It was just such an engaging moment. And one of them said, who is Jesus? And at first that caught me completely off guard. I mean, can you imagine someone asking, who is Jesus? I, he said, I kept hearing you say a person, Jesus, who is that? I, I was taken aback. I was like, what do you, I, I don't understand how you could be asking me that question right now. Who is Jesus? You mean, you mean what did Jesus do? No, who is Jesus? All of a sudden, I realized this person that was sitting in front of me, all of these gentlemen that were sitting in front of me, had no frame of reference for Jesus. Not a historical frame of reference, not a theological frame of reference, no family reference, nothing. They did not know who he was. Now, let me just tell you, when you get in that moment, you do not know what to say. Because how do you start that? Well, let me, let me see. Jesus is, uh, and then you think, well, they wouldn't know that, so how would they know? Jesus is, uh, and I just heard the Holy Spirit say to me, just speak the truth, tell the story, and it'll resonate with their hearts. So I just started telling the story. Jesus was the Son of God, and God sent him to save mankind from, and there's not even a concept for sin in Buddhism. So when you say, he came to save us from our sins, they didn't even understand what's that. So, so I'm like, just telling the story. And when we got to the end of the story, you know what their response was? That's false. That's a farce. No, because the Bible says that eternity was placed in the heart of every man. And so when they hear the truth, the actual truth of the gospel, it resonates with their heart. Everybody doesn't receive it at that moment. Everybody doesn't make a decision, but something about what you're saying is true. That's why you want to let, let your story evoke the word of God in your life because the word of God is what breaks yokes. The word of God is what uh, delivers people. The word of God is what makes a difference. And how did that word affect you? And how did it encourage you? Tell the story and the story will make the difference. And you know what their response? I wish, I wish all church people in the United States of America had the same response as those Buddhist monks did. Do you know what they said? First was, who is Jesus? Why did Jesus do that? And then the last question is, <laughs> oh, how do you know this? And so I reached into my bag and I grabbed my Bible and I pulled it out. And I, when I pulled it out, they went, oh, like literally they, they gasped. It shocked me. I was like, oh, what's that? And I said, it's the Bible. And partly because they, this is where I found that. And partly because they wanted to learn English. And they, can we hold it? And I gave them that Bible and they looking and reading through the pages and turning the pages and how do you know that i said well this this bible this this word god gave this to us so we would know and then they asked the question it was so shocking to me and still is to today and i wish that we all had this kind of response here's the question they ask what does Jesus want me to do? I just, all I did was tell them the story. 
I didn't go into big theological depth. I didn't try to make myself sound smart. I didn't try to give some kind of deep understanding. Although you should get a deep understanding. You should study the word. You should grow in your faith. But all I'm saying is, ladies and gentlemen, we tell the story of the gospel and how it intersects with our life. And it resonates with other people. And it crosses cultures. And it crosses dynamics. And it crosses educational backgrounds. And it crosses economic backgrounds. And it crosses everything. Tell your story and how God interacted with you. And it will change somebody's life. It just will. What does Jesus want me to do? So I told them what Jesus wanted them to do. Isn't that awesome? When we meet Christ, it empowers our story. Because before that encounter, we didn't even know our real story. When we encounter Christ, we get to know him and we get to know ourselves. You know, Isaiah, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. And if you read Isaiah chapter 6, something very pivotal happened in the Jewish uh, uh, nation. Uh, a good king that they had named Uzziah, King Uzziah, he died. And he was very important, and he was a good king, and he was a godly king, and it shook Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet. He shook him, and it shook the nation. And so Isaiah did only what he could think of to do. He ran to the temple, and he started praying. And if you read uh, Isaiah, you'll see the story of what happened to Isaiah. The Bible says he, he went in, and he, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. It says his train filled the temple and his glory filled the whole earth. And he said, I saw him and angels were, were all around him and they were, they were crying out, holy, holy, holy. And, and they were just swooping around the, 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 the glory of God and they were crying out, holy, holy, holy. And he said, all of a sudden I became aware of myself and realized how human I was and how frail I was and how weak I was and how sinful I was. And he cried out to God and he said to God, he said, I am a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. And God said, don't worry about it. And he sent an angel to the altar, took a fiery coal off the altar of God and brought it down and touched his lips and sanctified him and made him holy and there was a change. And what happened to Isaiah in that moment is the same thing that happened to the Apostle Paul. When you encounter Jesus, your story begins. When you encounter the power of God, it empowers you for great things in your life. I believe and fully believe that I lived a long time without Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something right now. It, it, I didn't even have a story until I came to know Jesus. The encounter empowers us to know our story so we can tell our story. What sin had destined for us, what the devil had destined for us, what others have destined for us are not our destination. God has a destination for each of us. He has a purpose for us. God has a plan for us. God has a story for us. Your story is just getting started when you meet Jesus. Your story is not over by any means. It doesn't matter how old you are, young you are, your story is not over. Your story has been written and it's being lived out each and every day that you walk with Christ. I love this scripture. In Psalms chapter 139, um, uh, Psalm chapter 139, it says this. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Can can, can I just let you understand what he is saying here? That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has intention and purpose for you. He knew you before you even put together. It really appalls me. and and, and And I'm sad for anybody who's gone through the abortion scenario. And it breaks my heart that 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 ever happens. But but we have to understand as well that it is not what God wants. And, And when you hear something like this, it makes you think appalled when you see politicians that look like they just won an election with their hands in the air and smiles on their faces. And you realize that they're rejoicing over a decision that was made to abort babies all the way up to birth. I say that only as a caveat to the message. It has really nothing to do but it, with the message. But I want us to understand there's a context here. Something's happening in our world, and we need to tell our story. Instead of just letting the evil and the wicked stories prevail over our nation and over our society, we need to start telling our story of how God changed me. I, I, I've got friends uh, that, that, uh, uh, that, that have been impacted by the abortion issue, and God has changed them. And I've got friends that have had abortions, and God delivered them from the shame and the guilt and the, and the, and the fear of all of that. I, I, I have friends that are, are not friends, but I know of people who have done great works for God, who were literally, their mother was on the way to the abortion clinic and God stopped her and said, no, you don't need to go there by sending someone to her to tell their story. And when their story was told, she changed her mind. And that person has now affected thousands upon thousands of people all over the world with the gospel of Christ. Can I tell you something Tell your story. Your story matters. God thinks about you. This says God had more thoughts about you than you can even count. This says that God, this is that God thought about you and wrote a book about you. There's a book in heaven about you, about your purpose, about your design, about what God wants your life to be. He talks about it right here. We need to understand God wants our life to have a story that is significant. And when I say significant, I don't mean big and huge, and I don't mean fame and fortune, and I don't mean any of that. I mean God has a purpose for you that fits in the context of the life he has planned for you that will make a difference in the context of that situation. He's given you a circle of influence. How's your story in your circle? I would dare to say that some of us are in here this morning and we have a circle and our circle doesn't even know our story. And we have to ask ourselves, have we encountered Jesus or not? Because if we've encountered Jesus, he's done so much for us, we have to begin to share what he's done. I can't help it. I got to tell my story. Any opportunity that comes up. And so I'm like the, I'm like the preacher that'll preach at the drop of a hat and he'll drop the hat. Y'all didn't get it. But I'm home. That was a great joke. Everybody at church online got that preacher joke right there. And they clapped and laughed. It was great. Y'all missed out. I want to give you four ways the encounter will empower you. Number one, when you encounter Jesus, it empowers you to worship. 
In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. What happened when he went to that temple and he saw the Lord high and lifted up? What, did, what happened to him? He immediately began to worship God. He got on his face before God. He began, when we really get a vision and a revelation of who God is and what Jesus is, who Jesus is and what Jesus can do in our life, it changes everything. Seriously, it changes everything. And the only response is worship. It's the same thing the Apostle Paul did on the road to Damascus. He saw, he saw Jesus in his glorified form, and what did he do? He hit the dirt. And he said, what, what do you want me to do, sir? And Jesus said, go, I'm going to send a prophet to you to tell you what I want you to do. Worship is evoked out of us, and we're empowered to worship. So don't come into church and think, well, I, I don't want to get, you know, I don't, I don't want to be too worshipful. I want to be, you know, more laid back. Listen, did Jesus change your life or not? You know, all I'm saying is Jesus could stretch out his hands and take nails in his hands and take nails in his feet and die the most horrible death that you can die in this world on my behalf I can lift my hands up and praise to him in a worship experience because when I really encounter him and what he's done for me it changes who I am amen number two when you encounter Jesus it empowers you to know your real self what did Isaiah say when he saw the glory of God woe is me I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, living among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When you put yourself up against the perspective of God, you see yourself for who you are. Every flaw, every blemish, every lie, every manipulation, every piece of ugliness in you that exists. When you really get in the glory of God, you realize you might even be a really good person. You might even be a person, but all of a sudden you see your humanity and you see, I am nothing as compared to that. I am unholy as compared to that. But isn't it wonderful that our God, who is so unbelievably awesome, that cannot be in the presence of sin, gave us a way out of that low place and said, come back up here with me and be in fellowship with me and be in relationship with me. I've given you grace so that you don't have to wallow in your sin anymore. You can be forgiven and set free and just walk freely in my presence. That's who we serve. That is our awesome God. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. You know, Three people really like that. Um, you know, when that happened to me, when I really truly gave my life to Jesus, something happened to me that was so intriguing. I had been in and out of church all my life. I mean, in and out of what we would call salvation. I don't think I was really saved until I was about maybe a, maybe a junior in high school, end of my junior year, maybe, maybe a senior year. Um, and I was a preacher's kid, and I was the classic preacher's kid, and I had all the, you know, I did, I rebelled, and I did all that in an extreme way. Like, when I look back on my life, I honestly think, how in the world did I make it out? It was bad. And I'm not going to go into it, because it just gives the devil glory, but it was bad. And I just remember something happening to me when I finally made that decision. You know, I always thought, I didn't really understand, is this God that wants me or is it all these people who are trying to push me into ministry because my dad was a preacher and my grandfather was a preacher. And I would say every, every meeting I would go to, somebody would want to prophesy to me and say, you're going to be a man of God and you're going to touch people all over the world. And I was like, no, I'm not. And I would tell them that, no, I'm not. 
And God would just send people my way to tell me the story of their life and minister to me and reach out to me. And I would just ignore it and I ignore it. Finally, I got to a place of beyond myself, like lower than you can think. I was, I was just like, there's no purpose in my life. I was never suicidal because I just, just, I guess I'm just not built that way. I don't know, but probably an underpinning of prayer of my family. And, but I was low and I was apart from myself. I was just absolutely devastated. I don't know what I'm going to do. Seems like everybody else has got their life together. What's my life going to amount to? And I just, I just came up with one solution. It's going to be a big fat zero. I'm going to have nothing. I'm going to be nothing. I'm going nowhere. And God got a hold of me through several different people, one being my wife. And when I finally surrendered and finally said, God, all right, if, if what you want for me is to follow you, then I'll follow you and I'll give up everything else. I'll follow you. I wasn't committing to be a pastor. I still was not going to do that. But here I am. So, but, but the truth is, here's what I felt like God told me. David, you, you are now like a clean slate. You know, I think we think we have to still get all this baggage. We have to work out. And yes, we do need to grow and we do need to develop and we do need to mature in Christ. But the truth is, in God's eyes, you're like a clean, white canvas. And God's just started writing your story. Saved. Now, here's what I want you to do. And sometimes there's a pause or a period and we're all flailing around and God waits until we get back to his story and he starts writing again. God has a book about you. He's thoughts about you, love for you. He cares about you. Amen? Amen. And what we need to do is understand we have a free canvas. We have a blank canvas. God, write on me. Use my life. Make a difference with me. I mean, I can't, uh, uh, the, the story of my life now isn't just that I encountered Jesus and he changed me. The story of my life now is I encountered Jesus and he changed me. And now my life has encountered literal thousands of lives all over the world and it has changed them. See, that's how our story is supposed to work. God changes us and then God uses us to change others. If the story is untold, the story dies. We are always just one generation away from extinction of the gospel. If we fail to tell our story to the generation coming after us, there will be no story told. When you encounter Jesus, number three, it empowers you. I'm, 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 I'm on three, I've got four. So if that tells you anything, if you're worried about the clock, I'm going to take like 40 minutes on three, 50 minutes on four, so don't, no, I'm joking. When you encounter Jesus, it empowers change in you. I just have a hard time believing that if you encounter Jesus, there's no change in you. Number one, I can't believe it theologically because the Bible is very clear that when you encounter Jesus, you're regenerated, you're born again, there's change. doesn't mean you're made perfect, but it means you're put in position for being made perfect. And your life in Christ is, being, is coming to perfection as you grow in Him. But there's change. When I encountered Jesus for real, it changed me. Isaiah said, 
the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin has been paid for. That, that is a representation of Jesus and what he's done in our life, the light of Christ operating and sanctifying us. So he changes. He empowers change in you. And if you mess up and make a mistake, just go back to the Father and say, forgive me and change me, renew me, and he will. You don't have to go back to zero. You don't have to give up. You don't have to quit. You don't have to throw your hands in the air. Just say, God, keep writing the story. You think because you got off track with the story that God's through writing the story. He's not through writing. Your story's not finished because you made a mistake. Come on, please. That we serve a God who's able to heal, deliver, set free, forgive. Come on, his grace is sufficient for you no matter what. Just keep going, keep moving. God's still writing your story. When you encounter Jesus, it empowers change. He, you're never the same. When he encountered the blind man, change. When he encountered the lame man, change. When he encountered the dead man, change. When he encountered the adulterous woman, change. When he encountered people full of sin, changed. When you encounter him and you accept him and you receive him, it changes you. And the fourth and last thing is when you encounter Jesus, it empowers you to tell your story. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? I don't know if there was anybody else in the temple. Probably there was. But this vision that he was having, I feel like, was particularly for him. It was as if no one else was in the room. And, Jesus, and, and God asked a question, Who shall we send? And it's almost like you ever meet that kid in the class that answers every question? You know, the first hand up. Hey, me, 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 me. Answer me. I got to answer. I got to answer. And then the teacher's trying to go, is there anyone else? With... That's the impression I get of this moment. Where God says, after all of this, he sees God glorified in the whole earth. He sees his train filling the temple. He sees angels. He sees God change him. He experiences this change. This is all a type and a picture of what happens with us when we get to know Jesus and we encounter him. And then when Jesus, he does one last thing. He asks what those Buddhist men ask me. In other words, instead of him asking what do we do for Jesus? Jesus is asking the question to us, what will you do for me? And he wants us answering in the affirmative. And I believe Isaiah was like, me, 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 me. He, it's as if God is asking everybody in the room, who will go for us? Who will it be? And Isaiah is running back and forth in the temple like, me, it's me, I'll go, I'll go, send me, send me, send me. See, when God empowers us, he empowers change in our lives, he empowers worship in our lives, he empowers perspective in our lives, he empowers us to see him for who he is, us for who we are, and then he empowers change in our lives, and then he empowers us to take all of that and share it. Just like Todd and Darcy told their story today. That's all really you need to do. But reality is, first, you have to have one. Every head bowed, every eye closed.